0: Good morning. Good morning! How's everybody? Good. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. That's our key text, core verse. If you want to have that. Also, I've provided an outline for you in your bulletin. I encourage you to follow along. I think that will help. And as you're turning there and as you're getting ready, I just wanted to... Any, how many teachers do we have? Going back to school on Tuesday. Guys, getting ready. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. Exciting time. I wanted you to know, as a church, Clover Hill was at uh, Crenshaw Elementary this week. We fed them breakfast and Bailey Bridge Middle School. We had some Dream Teamers over there serving them Chick-fil-A biscuits and fruit and coffee. And then we were at Grange Hall Elementary and also Cosby High School. This Friday night, we'll be feeding the Manchester football team. So thank you guys for your generosity. and. In giving this week also six of our families from Clover Hill finished a pride training. Tri- pride training is the nine-week class you have to go to to get your home and prepare you to open up your home for foster kids. So six of our families are now ready to engage in that ministry, and, and we're so excited. Also, our preschool will open, Clover Hill Christian Academy will open on Tuesday, our 11th year. 40 new families, 165 kids will go through these doors and so keep keep that in prayer. Wednesday night we baptize 5 people which is always fun. Thursday we have a in this fun. We we just uh, Thursday we have a pastors meeting here with their staff. We'll have about 100 people where they'll come, they'll have a meal, we'll sit in round tables, uh, we'll have great worship and we'll teach about creating a culture of change. And so pray for that if you're if you, if you think about it. And then, last but not least, I'm wearing the Spark 5K T-shirt. Not because I like to run. I hate to run. Hate to run. The only running I want to do is if I got a basketball in my hand. Just dribbling. I, I hate to run, but I love making a difference in the lives of kids who come from hard places. And if, if, if me being a part of a 5K will bring awareness or help raise money, To a group of kids that the society has kind of cast off and said you're not gonna make it and and you're it's just gonna be a pattern and you you're you're not valuable and you're not worth anything. If I can do something, it's worth a little bit of running. So I want to encourage me. I'd love for you to run with me. Say, I don't run, I don't run either. Let's walk the thing, bring your tricycle, bring your big wheel, bring your bike, let's just run the thing and let's just finish. There's a one mile for the kids. I would love, I would love if everybody somehow was involved. Go online, sign up. Uh, there's a big party afterwards, and so everybody, there's a place for you to play. It's a SPARK 5K. It's to help bring awareness and fund the Forgotten Initiative, which is on our webpage, and it's all about helping that foster care community. So uh, I'd love, 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 love to see you sa- uh, Saturday the 19th and be a part of that. Well, tomorrow, obviously, is Labor Day, and that, yeah, I don't know if you know this, but it's Labor Day started on June 28, 1894. So it's a holiday that Congress enacted just to celebrate people that work, the labor force, that made, made America better. And So we're going to give them one day off a week, and, and it's the first Monday in September. And so I started looking at work and thinking about work and trying to figure out work. And, and they, they tell us that we'll spend 40% of our life in work or at our job or a particular job. And you say only 40%? Some of you probably think more than that. But the average 40% of your life will be spent at work. That that just means that a lot of times your work will decide where you live. Your work will define who who you're around the most. Your work, to a sense, will give you a a sense of identity and purpose. And and so work's very important. But I also found out that 66% of Americans don't enjoy their work. Two-thirds don't like getting up in the morning and going to the job that provides their income. And I, I think part of it, is we just don't have a proper understanding of work. And so today I want to give you a new theology. And the first question we ask, well, why work? What's important? And let me just fill, it, fill in the blanks. Here's the first point. You work out a necessity. It, you just, that's just where we're at. Here's what the Bible says. If a man will not work, he will not eat. I mean, there, there's, some people don't want to work today. And we, we've got a society and a culture that, that wants government handouts and wants the ch- church provide for them. Friend, that's not the way. I'm not talking about people that can't work. I'm talking about people that refuse to work. That's not the way God intended it. it, We have a free country, therefore we're going to have some freeloaders. But God intended you to work. He intended you to do something with your hands, to do something with your mind. I mean, God works. God, God was a worker. He he was a creator. When Jesus came to earth, he, he worked. He was a carpenter. And I think part of the reason he did that was to share and communicate with us that there's dignity in work. That, that, there, there is, that we're supposed to do that. We work out of necessity. Here, the one who stays on his job has food on his table. You, you, you don't work. Again, you don't eat. Walmart doesn't take faith. They want money. They 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 you can't I know Clover Hill is making it you can't take your outline tomorrow and say, Hey, hey, I'm just gonna use this to buy my groceries. Don't work like that. You don't work, you don't eat. Here's here's what the Bible says. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We work out of necessity. We work because that's what work is not part of the curse. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, and they were given an assignment, work at this, work this field, till this land, raise this crop. The curse in work came after the fall, after they sinned. Now, work's not the curse, now it's just going to be harder to, to produce a crop, to make a to make a living. But nonetheless, work is a God thing, work is a good thing. We ought to thank God for our work, and work out of necessity, we work also for prosperity. There's nothing with wanting to to do good. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make a good living. Here again, here's what the Bible said: Lazy people want much, but get little. Can I just don't be lazy? Believers should not be lazy. They 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 don't want to get they don't want to do anything, but they get mad when they don't get anything. But those who work hard will prosper. And be satisfied. Look, I want you to prosper. I want you to be satisfied. In my, in my generation, I've seen really two extremes in, in, in the gospel teaching. For a long time, there was this prosperity gospel. And, and that meant that if you didn't drive a Cadillac, and if you weren't rich, and you really weren't righteous, that your wealth equated to your righteousness. And you had to, you had to drive the 1st I'm, I'm not going second class. I'm a child of the king, and I, I got to go first. That's hogwash. That's ridiculous. It's not even found, that's not even found in Scripture. I do believe God wants to, to prosper you, but not, not to. And but then we have this poverty gospel, where you, not only you can't drive a Cadillac, you got to drive a brown Ford Pinto, and you got to just. You just got to be low and meek. That's not in the Bible either. I I think God just wants us to to get in our our niche and our thing and our group where we are gifted and where we can contribute and where we can make a difference. And and when we work hard, I believe God wants to elevate you, that that he wants you to move up the ladder in your office because you're working with integrity and hard work and and energy and effort and, and, and you're not being lazy. And when you work hard, there's this... There's this response to that, and you'll, be, you'll prosper, and you'll be satisfied. And, 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 and here, let me just talk about this prosperity thing again. You, we think we're not rich. We think, we think that, uh, let me just, if you make 25, if you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. If you make $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1%. Of the wealthiest people in the world. And again, I don't want I don't I don't say this to, to shame you or to bring guilt to you. I, and, and I said this begin: wealth is not synonymous with with Christianity, but but neither is poverty with Christianity. In fact, in the Bible, you'll see some of the wealthiest men in the Bible were that were believers, were 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 moneymakers. Abraham was a rancher. I mean he he was the father of faith. David, Solomon, Job, one of the wealthiest men on earth during his time. You don't equate that. They're not, one of, but, but here's what I know. God has blessed us. God, we, we are, some of us don't even understand how wealthy we are. We think if we can't live in a big fancy home or drive a new car, or wear expensive clothes or have a Disney cruise every summer, that we're poor, but we literally live in the lap of luxury. And you might not see yourself as rich, but by global standards, all of us are rolling in it. We live in our climate-controlled homes where everyone has a bed. We drive nice cars, and most families have more than one. We enjoy clean wor- uh, water effortlessly effortlessly out of a tap. We eat great food, and if you don't like what's at your house, you can go to some drive-in and, and, and have it your way. And, and again, I don't bring this up, our abundance to make us feel guilty. I just want to put in proper perspective that we are blessed, that God has been good to us, that God has been gracious to us, that he has been generous to us, and the Bible calls us stewards. A steward is somebody who takes the resources and the blessings of God and uses them in a proper way. It's a manager, and Paul said, as a steward, you're a steward. You've been blessed, you've been provided for, you've been given. To much is given, much is the required. So as a steward, you must be found faithful. That's your goal. To be found faithful as a steward. So you say, okay, pastor, how do I ensure that I'm going to be found faithful? Well, you make money honestly. You work hard. You don't cut corners. You don't cheat uh, buyers out of a product. You, you, you work as unto the Lord. I, I tell you, you know how to be a good steward? You tithe faithfully. Here, here's what the Bible says. On the first day of the week, each one should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. This is where we get proportion giving. We all don't give the same thing, but we give the same proportion. It's called our tithe. It's called the first 10%. We don't even give it. We return it to the Lord because he's already declared that it's his. You know what tithing does? When we hold on to our money, it hinders us and keeps us from receiving the blessings of God. But when we release it, we open up our hand so that the promises and the blessings can flow into our life. Giving, tithing breaks the power of greed and materialism over our lives. Which is the chief competition for your heart? The Bible says you cannot love God and money both because it's this. It's desires for wealth and things are going to compete with you always. And And then tithing just declares who you trust, who you fear. If you think God has your heart but you're not tithing, you're fooling yourself. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Tithing is a a way to make sure. Some of you invest in your pet more than the kingdom of God. And it's not funny. Someday you're going to stand before God. I'm getting you ready for the test. You're going to give an account as a steward. God hasn't blessed me. Yes, he has. And it's going to be imperative that you're able to stand before him and say, I have been found faithful. How else do you do it? Not only do you make money honestly and tithe faithfully, You save strategically. That's part of being a steward. Here's what the Bible says. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil. There's an overflow. There's more. The Proverbs is all about, it's a comparison contrast to wise living and foolish living. If you want to be wise, then save some. Because you're going to have an emergency. Your fridge is going to break. Your transmission is going to go out. The kids are going to need bread. Something's going to happen. You got to be in a position where where you've got some extra, save for retirement, save save for that that toy you want or that expenditure you want. But a foolish man devours all he has. It comes in and it goes out. He he never never. That's a foolish man. You don't want to be foolish. You want you want to be wise. So you save strategically. Here's. Here's what the writer of Proverbs 21.20 said. I didn't say this, he said it. Stupid people, I didn't call you stupid, he did. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. They don't know it. And so another part of being a good steward is you've got to know where your money's going. You've got to spend it wisely. It's called a budget. Every dollar has to have a, a name to it. You've got to know what you owe and who you owe and what's coming in and, and what's going out. If you don't plan carefully, if you plan carefully, you'll have plenty. Our problem is not an income problem for the most most of us. Our problem is a spending problem. We're not being faithful stewards. And then you come to me and you tell me you're broke, you got the nicest iPhone you can have, you're driving a, a, a fairly new car, you're living in a house way above your means, but you need somebody to pay your power bill. It's not an income problem. I love you. I mean, I'm your friend. I love you. But we've got to spend. We've got to plan properly. We've got to budget. We've got to, we've got to be a good steward. It's called responsibility. In our culture, nobody wants to do it. I'm telling you, as people of God and children of the king, it's required that we be found faithful as steward. And you know what else a steward does? He gives generously. And you know why He can. Because he's tithed and opened up the hand, he's opened up his hands to receive. Because he's saved and he's budgeted. And so then when a need comes along, you're able to give. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor and there was this family, and, and they, they did have an income problem. The daddy was working hard, but a big family, a, a minimum wage job, wasn't real skilled, not a lot of education. And they were doing all they could. And, and his 13-year-old daughter, I mean, teeth were just really, I mean, messed up, crooked. She wouldn't smile. She'd always look down. There, there was just insecurity all over her. And, and I know you don't get your identity and your looks or, or, or your teeth, but you think of a 13-year-old girl and all that's going through anyway. And her daddy couldn't afford de- braces, much less even go to the dentist. And so a man came to me because he had tithed and he'd saved and he'd planned and, and he was, had this generous spirit. He said, Stan, I want you to, here's $5,000. I want you to connect her with an orthodontist. I want you to make sure she goes in there, gets those teeth straightened out, get them fixed pay for it. I don't want anybody to know I gave it. I just want to bless her. That girl, he didn't know. She'd been praying that somehow her daddy would have enough money to help her get braces. So one, it was an answer. She thought it was God, and it was God, but she was like, thank you, Jesus, for this. She went in there, got those teeth straight. There was a, there was a confidence and assurance and a and, and there, a new spirit about her that just, I mean, just changed your life, and, and, and that's what I want to be. I want to help some kid do that. I want to be in a position where where I can give generously and come alongside somebody that's less fortunate than me and give them some help. Because anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. But he must work out of necessity, out of prosperity, and do something useful with your hands so that you may have something to share with those who are in need. So you 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 wanna you wanna be a steward. You wanna you wanna. You want to come alongside people. You want to, you, you have to work out of necessity. If you don't eat, if you don't work, you don't eat. You want to work out of prosperity. You want to be blessed and provide. But you also, you want to work, your work as a ministry. Write that down, will you? you want to work as a ministry. And here, here's where I want to camp out for just a few minutes. And, and I want to give you a new perspective concerning work. I want to give you a biblical theology of what your work is like. See, there was a time in the, in the church history where work was defined as sacred and secular, holy and, and just honorable. Everybody that was in ministry, my ministry, quote ministry, was, was sacred. It was a holy work. And, and common folks just did secular work, and they did the sacred work after they got off their secular work. And so, and so there was just this divide and, and mix-up and confusion. And I think so many people are unfulfilled and dissatisfied and discontent with their work because they don't view it through the lens of Scripture, and you don't understand that your job is an opportunity for you to please the Lord and to impact people. And to do that, I don't care. If you're a, if you're a house stay-at-home mom, that's ministry. That's work. You, you taking care of those kids. You're volunteering at their school. You're having kids into your home. If you're a student this morning... Tuesday morning, you'll go to Bailey Bridge Middle or Manchester High School or, or wherever you're going. You are That's your work. That's your, that's your place of ministry. If you work it, wherever, whatever you do, you, here's how I want you to see it. From here on out, I want you to see your work. Oh, let me give you the verse. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. Colossians 3. I told you to go there a long time ago. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. We could say Employers. In everything and do and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, what student, office worker, teacher, stay-at-home mom, businessman, whatever you do, work with it, work with all your heart. That's your, your emotions, your passions, your, your its. Do it as working for the Lord. Not for a human master. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward again, there's going to be a, 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 an account day, and you're going to stand before God. What did I give? What did you do with the resources I gave you? And what did, what did you do with the job I provided for you? You're going to have to answer to God, and, and so you want to do it as unto the Lord, because it's the Lord Christ that you're serving. So, so how do I cause my work to be ministry? Here's the first thing. See your work as priestly work. See, it is priestly work. What you do, priestly work, all that means is work on the behalf of God. When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, he used the word, I want you to work this, this soil, this land. When the Levites, that's, the, that's what we would call the, the sacred, the ministry people, they were in charge of the temple, the sacrifices. They were in charge of, of the music at the worship service. And they, they went, this is what, I want you to work at this, this uh, service. You know what, the two words, they mean the same thing. Work on behalf of God. So what Adam and Eve did in the garden were just as valuable, just as important in the eyes of God as what the Levites did. Oh, you're a landscaper. You're just you're pruning bushes and you're planting the seed and you're making sure the weeds are out and you're spraying bugs. That's not just a landscaper. That's priestly work. that's, that's work is unto the Lord regardless of what you do. If you do it for the Lord, it's priestly work. It is work on behalf of God. I had a cousin that got accepted, got invited to the Naval Academy. Brilliant guy. I mean, IQ off the charts, potential unlimited. He goes to the Naval Academy, spends his first year there. After his freshman year, over the summer, he goes to a revival meeting, and he feels like God called him into ministry. And in his context and in his setting, the only ministry he knew about was pastoring. If he wanted to be in ministry, he had to be a preacher. And so he got out of his commitment to the Naval Academy, left a full ride, everything that that entailed, and enrolled in Bible school. And so for the next four years, he he became trained as a pastor, as a preacher. He would preach at student chapels where all the students would come. And they'd see his name on the board and nobody came because he stunk. He was a terrible preacher. And he got out of Bible school and he took his first church. Took a small little church in a rural community. And after about six months, he took that small church and it became a tiny church. I mean, nobody was coming. Nobody wanted to be a part of it. His work was frustrating. He hated getting in front of it. I mean, it was a nightmare. And he finally got on his face before God and said, God, I thought you called me into the ministry. And he said, I did call you in the ministry. You just got ministry mixed up with your... I've called you to ministry as doing work on the behalf of God. And so he slid over to the education field. And he began to teach. And then he moved to the college level. And now he's a vice president of a, of a university. He found his niche. He found his, his place of... of a fulfillment in, and where God had really uniquely wired him. And he did it as unto the Lord. He wasn't just going to get a paycheck or work for some man. He was going with the intent to influence kid and bring about change and, and make a difference. And that's priestly work is unto the Lord. See, see your work as priestly work. Your work is your ministry. When you allow God to use your unique gift mix, passions, and to fulfill a divine purpose. Here's the next thing. See yourself as divinely positioned and leverage where you are for kingdom purposes. God has has placed you for such a time as this, where you are. New attitude, new perspective. When you go to work on Tuesday morning, man, I'm just not out here taking up time, filling a spot, making a check. No, God has put me here for this time, for this place, and I'm gonna leverage it for kingdom purpose. You know God used, he probably used people in the marketplace more than than he's used preachers or priests or any of that. Abraham was a rancher. Joseph was an administrator. David was a shepherd. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Daniel worked for the government. Esther was a queen. What we see all throughout scripture is God strategically gifted his people position them in sections of society, and use them for his plans and his purposes right where they were. They're not second-class citizens. They were people on the front lines of God's redemptive story. And they all made decisions to leverage their gifts and passions and position for the glory of God. Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright got together back in the 70s, and they, began, they were both leaders of, of uh, YWAM, Youth with a Mission, and Campus Crusade for Christ, and, and just... Uh, soul winners, awesome guys. They got together and began to pray, how can we affect, how can we change our culture? And they they felt like the Lord gave them seven spheres of influence, that if we can take Christ into these spheres of influence, then we can change our culture. And it was the business world. If we can have businessmen and women that love God and have a heart for Jesus, if they can begin to enter these business avenues and these business f- spheres, then they can they can bring change and light to those areas. If we, the another place was government. And yeah, I'm, I, I'm not really happy with our government right now. I'm not excited about what our government is doing. But I do know this. We need some godly men and women that will serve the people in government. Not not, not politicians, but patriots. People that love God and want to see America great. And that's why I'm so excited about them. Man chase and her being involved and, and running for senate and I think more of us ought to look to that and young people don't don't count that out as a as a as an evil profession if you do it for the glory of God and there are some great men and women some godly men and women that serve in those positions but but these men Bill Bright Lauren Cutt if we can get people in God loving God fearing people in these spheres of influence another was family and church and media and education and and entertainment, then we can, we can take the See your workplace as you have been divinely positioned and leverage the place where you work so that you can use it for kingdom purposes. Here's the last thing. See your work as a way to love God and love people. Love, your work In your work, you can love God and love people. When Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God and love people. You know how you love God with your work? Perform it with integrity and honesty and excellence. Be on time. Work hard. Have a good attitude. Some of you, all you do is complain about your job, and I'm telling you, stop it. You know, you know what murmuring, complaining is? It's, it's rooted in, in gratitude. It's rooted in, 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 it's really a slap in the face of Almighty God. People in this room have been laid off and would love the opportunity to do what you are doing. People are risking their lives to come to America because in their country, there are no jobs. Here's what Paul said. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Quit murmuring and whining and griping and complaining. I can't stand this. And you're acting like a, a baby. And here's, here's why you need to stop. So you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault. You know why you're going to quit grumbling, grumbling and arguing? Because you're going to see your work in a new life that it's a place where you can leverage for kingdom purpose, that it's just not a paycheck you get or a boss that you work for, but it's priestly. It's, it's work is unto the Lord. And, and through your work, you can love God, and you can love people. Thank God for the job you have. Do it with a new perspective. This is priestly work. The work I get to do is worship is unto God. And, and, and if you dread it that much, you know what I mean? Let me give you, you that are thinking about, that you're about to enter the workforce or looking for a job or thinking about, do something that you, that you enjoy. Do something that you're passionate about. Do something that, that, that kind of, Coach DeFrancesco, he goes to our Mosley campus. He was, he, was a, he was in corporate America. He worked for Circuit City. He was high up. I mean, corporate America with all the perks, the paychecks, the position, the power, all that that entailed. Sixteen years ago, with all the money, nice vacations, big house, his dad passed away suddenly, and he wasn't able to began thinking there's got to be more than what I'm doing. I don't enjoy this. I don't feel like it's not rewarding, it's not fulfilling. Now, look, if you work in corporate America and you see it as priestly work and you're finding that position and leveraging it for the kingdom of God, then you do it for the glory of God and you impact that culture. But for him, it just wasn't fitting. There had to be more. And so he was helping coach linebackers at James River High School. And they had an FCA, a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp. He went to that summer with the rest of the team. And they, he radically gave, it was, he said it was like a Paul moment. He radically surrendered and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he felt like the Lord wanted him to do something different. So he, he quit his job. He got a job teaching high school at James River High School. I don't know if you know this, but corporate America and teachers do not make the same amount of money. It's just not on the same level. And for the last 16 years, he has been invested in his life. He's the head football coach of the varsity football team. He's been invested in boys and coming alongside families. He doesn't see it as a job. He sees it as a ministry. And he's making a difference for the glory of God. And when you talk to him about his work, Greg, what do you do? His eyes light up. I mean, there's passion. There's there's a sense of purpose and fulfillment. And I want to encourage you. Don't spend 40% of your life of your life in something that you hate. Get something that you enjoy. I love pastoring. Love it. And some of you think, well, why wouldn't you? You only work one day a week. That's not true. I work two days a week when we have a Wednesday night service. So there. No, you know what I love about it? I love preparing messages. I love presenting God's word. You know, I go to sleep at night dreaming about how Clover Hill can have a greater impact on our community. I mean, I, I, my, the greatest fulfillment is when I get to baptize somebody and knowing that I just made a little, I had a little impact in their walk and their relationship with Christ. I'm able to get up in the morning and come to work with joy because I, I, just, under, I just know that, that I, I'm having an opportunity to impact people's future. I was made for this and, and I'm in ministry and coaches coaching a football team, but I want you to find something where I was made for this. And, now, and just know, even, even when you're made for this, there's still frustrations. You know that, because, I mean, Coach D, he's got to deal with unruly parents that think their kids are all American and aren't getting to play, and, and, uh, and uh, administration sometimes that doesn't back him. He's taking heat because he's try- out trying to instruct in character. He's taking heat from different organizations and different parents. There's been struggles in pastoring it's a i mean there are things that i do not like about my job but i'm telling you when you when you're passionate about it when you're when when you're when you're doing something that you know that you can leverage your gifts and your your passions for the glory of god there's fulfillment and there's satisfaction and there's hope and that that's what i that's what i want for you you kids you kids coming out of college, some of you want a job that maximize all your gifts and fulfill all your passions and on a team that always gets along and in an environment that's always fun, where you never work long hours and you get six weeks of vacation, you got a starting salary of six figures. Friend, you don't want a job, you want to live on Fantasy Island. That's not that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where we can, we, we can again, use, I want 40% of our lives to be fruitful and beneficial. And so quit complaining and find something you love to do. Do your work with excellence. You don't work for a paycheck. You work as, as worship. It's an opportunity to reveal to God and those you work with, your gratitude and integrity and passion and heart. It's priestly. It's a way of honoring, worshiping, and loving God. Your work is also a means or a way to love people. No, no, I, I'm just a mechanic. You, you know, I had an engine light go out of my van and I took it to a mechanic, and that mechanic was able to fix it and able to fix a problem. He's just not fixing the van. He's loving me. He's loving my family. He's getting my van safe so that we're on our, when we're going somewhere, we're not stranded beside the road. That's lo- several years ago, my oldest son got meningitis and was in the hospital for five nights. Those nurses, they, they might have thought they were just working for a paycheck, but in my eyes, they were loving my boy. And because they loved my son, they were loving me. They were changing, changing his beds and, and, and making sure he had the right medicine. Those doctors that came in that room, I mean, I thank God they'd spent most of their life in, in school, and they'd done all the hard work of doing that so that they could come in and identify what was wrong with him and give him some treatments to get out of it. And that janitor that came in every night and cleaned his bathroom, that day he just wasn't cleaning a, a toilet and cleaning a floor. He was loving me by loving my son and taking care of him. Your, your work is pretty, that, that lab technician, I'm just checking blood. No, you're loving me by making sure my son's blood is not filled with infection and disease. You're getting to a place of health and strength. That, that's, that's loving God and loving people. You got to see your job through that lens. Not long ago, it's probably been three or four years ago, Angie goes out, the dog was barking, it was late at night, I was in R.E.M. stage four, I mean I was gone, and the dog's barking, and she goes out and opens up the door to let her out, and there's a man in our driveway. And so she slams the door and runs back to our room and wakes me up and says, there's a man in our driveway, and I said, well get back out there and take care of that. (laughs) Pulled the cover over my head, what are you coming in here for? (laughs) No, I'm the man of the house. So I got my phone and called 911 and said, Hey, dispatcher, can you get that police officer to my house? And, you know, that dispatcher just wasn't making a call. They were loving my family by protecting us. And when that police officer came to the house and he turned on that big old spotlight and he looked all over and looked in the bushes and woke up every dog, he he was loving me. And, And whoever made that bat that I was holding... That I was about to knock that joker boy out. They, they thought they were just making it bad. No, they were loving me, and they were, they were, they were loving people. That, that's, what you, that's how you got to see your job. That Chick-fil-A worker, you're not just serving up a number one. You're loving me when you give me that meal. I mean, my, my cell phone. I don't know how we live. I don't know how we made it without these things. My home button was stuck. You ever had a stuck home button? Your world is chaos. You can't get to your calendar. You can't make a phone call. You can't send a text. I mean, I'm going crazy. I had to go to AT&T, and they had to fix my home. They weren't just fixing my home. They were loving me (laughs) from chaos back to peace and joy. You got to see your job as a way to love God and love people. I'm so glad when I have a toothache or a leaky radiator or in need of a new roof that everyone is not called to the work that I do. All of those jobs are priestly jobs and they're priestly functions and they're a way of loving God and loving people. What you do matters. The task God has assigned you to do, when done with the right heart and right attitude, blesses God. And when done with excellence and integrity, blesses humanity. God cares about your work. May your career become a calling. May your work become worship. May 40% of your time be Be used to bless God and honor people. May you find fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose as you do your work through the lens of Scripture which says whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Amen everybody? Amen. Amen. Bow your heads and your hearts with me will you? Lord we want to take these next few moments and just examine We we want to get a fresh perspective of our work and what we do for a living. God, forgive us for murmuring and complaining. Forgive us for griping and, comp- and being negative about our jobs. Lord, we don't only want you to forgive us, but we repent from it. We change our mind concerning it. Give us a new mind concerning our work. God, may we see it as a priestly function. Whatever it is, whatever we're involved in, Lord, may we see it as a, as a position where you've placed us. And may we leverage it for kingdom purpose. May we see it as a way to love God and to love people. Lord, may your people do work that's satisfying and fulfilling and rewarding and impactful for the glory of God. May we go to work Tuesday morning with a new attitude and a new heart and a new desire. I pray for renewed passion and energy in your people today, in Jesus' name. That we'll we'll have a work ethic that it displays and expels your excellence and your goodness to us, God. That as we work, that we'll work as unto you. In Jesus' name. Will you just just take a few minutes and commit your work to the Lord, whatever you do? Pray for that, that guy that works alongside of you, your boss, the one that works under you. Lord, let me see my work with new eyes, fresh vision. Let me see those people, not as that I work with, not as interruptions, but opportunities to share the gospel and win them to Jesus with my life and with my words. Students, as you start school this week, go. You're just not going. I mean, I want you to do good in grades, excel on the field, in the band, do whatever you do, but, but you're a missionary in that school. Work, work is unto the Lord. Man, do your assignments, get it done on time so that teacher will say, man, there's something different about that kid. Do everything with a spirit of integrity and excellence. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Stand with me, will you? Maybe you're here today and you're far from God. Keep your eyes shut and your heads bowed for just a moment. Maybe you're not walking with the Lord, you're not serving God, and and you know, I mean, your heart's pounding, your stomach's turning, you're saying I got to get right with Jesus. Maybe at one time you were, but you've drifted. Maybe you've never said yes to the Lord. Maybe you've never invited him to your life. You know what's your biggest problem? My biggest problem is sin. The Bible says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It means we've all missed the mark. We've all come up short. We're not righteous enough. We're not good enough. And so therefore, we're disconnected from God. But God loved us enough that he sent his only son so that his son would die for our sin and reconnect us to the creator. And our only response has to be, yes, Lord, I I receive your forgiveness. Yes, Lord, I receive your grace. Lord, I know I can't do it on my own, and I need you. And you say, Pastor, will you help me? I want to do that. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want, I want God to be the Lord and the leader of my life. Man, I would love to you. This is what I would pray. As you're just standing right where you are, I would pray something like this. Dear Jesus, will you just forgive me? Lord, will you cleanse me? Will you wash me? I realize today that I've missed the mark. and I ask that you come into my life not only save me from my sins but be my leader I surrender my life to you I'd say Lord I give you my life Lord I give you my life and from this day forward I commit to finding out what you want me to do with it to honoring you and serving you obeying you Lord I give you my life if you pray that prayer, Jesus has come into your life. It's not the end, it's the beginning. I want to pray for you, Lord. May you seal what you're doing in the hearts of people right now. May they realize that they're children of the Most High God and that you have a plan and a purpose for their lives. Help them, Jesus, I ask. In Jesus' name.